Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Lauren Marino is the author of Bookish Broads, Women Who Wrote Themselves Into History. She is also the author of What Would Dolly Do? and Jackie and Cassini. She's the former founding editor and editorial director of Gotham Books, where she published multiple bestsellers and award-winning books. She's currently editorial director at Hachette. As a writer, she has collaborated with celebrities, doctors, psychologists, and other luminaries on their books. She lives in New York City with her children and two cats. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss bookish broads, women who wrote themselves into history. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's nice to talk to you again. You too. As I was just saying, I was introduced and learned a lot more about women who I thought I knew a lot about, but obviously 
did not tell. Uh, I mean, I, I was particularly interested in Mary Shelley's story, who had like eight million bad things happen to her, which oh, I had yeah. realized um, before she wrote Frankenstein. But you really cover so many amazing women in the book, and even things like how romantic novels started, and you know Joan Didion and Octavia Butler, who just opened a bookstore in LA, also. And anyway, it was just so interesting to hear especially when there was so much against women before. But anyway, why don't I let you talk? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's... You it's say the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I love that, you know, you you started this podcast, Mom Don't Have Time to Read Books. Well, moms don't have time to write books either. And yet both of us have done it. And for me, oh, being a bookworm my whole life, being in the book business, being a, an avid reader, always being a writer and keeping journals, I read an article about where the ALA, the American Library Association, had done this study where they gathered information from libraries all over the world about the books that were the most circulated. Mm. And they sent out a list of the top 100 books, and only 12 of them were by women. And that didn't make any sense to me because I know in the book business that 80% of books are purchased by women. I know that women are bigger readers. And yet, you know, I sort of went down this rabbit hole of Googling top 100 books and greatestbooks.org. And it was the same 12 female writers that showed up in the top 100 books over and over again. And I said, why, you know, is this an algorithm problem? Like why, you know, why aren't all the female writers that I've been reading my whole life showing up here? You know, it's Jane Austen, it's J.K. Rowling, it's the Bronte sisters and, you know, and Pride and Pride. It's like the same books, the same authors. So I started doing research and I had a, a blast doing this. And I started out with a list of the writers that I wanted to research and it was mostly the the women like my favorite writers and as i started doing research i realized i started learning about more and more writers and i learned about you know like the first novel was written by lady murasaki in 10th century japan you know if you say if you were a, a lit major like i was they say oh it was you know samuel johnson or richardson wrote you know rich wrote the first novel no it was actually written by a woman so i just I, I saw how these female writers stood on each other's shoulders and how every writer took the work of the female writers before her and you know, so I learned, I, I I got to study and go down the rabbit hole of rereading some of my favorite books and learning the stories behind these women. But I also learned about a lot of other female writers. So I had a great time. I could have, I could have written a book that was a thousand pages. I could write 10 more books because I didn't even get to cover um, most of the women I wanted to. And this book was never meant to be encyclopedic. It really, like, as I was going through the writing process and the research, it ended up becoming sort of a history of the female experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even today, I think it's changing, but the female experience has always been diminished. And even, and even books by women writers have been diminished. And, you know, you remember the whole era of chick lit 
It's like, well, if you write a domestic novel, if you write about your experience as a woman or you write something about being a mother or having children or, you know, it's chick or romance, it's chick lit. So, you know, that just that title alone is saying the female experience is not valued. So, you know, I just loved like I wanted to honor these women, the incredible contributions that they made to literature I wanted to bring other readers to them, so I have suggested reading after each of the essays. Um, but I also wanted to inspire other aspiring female writers because the obstacles that these women faced were so tremendous that for me to say, oh, well, I'm a single working mother with two kids, I don't have time to write. Well, Mary Shelley and Virginia Woolf weren't even educated. Jane Austen went to school for a month. Her sisters and her mother did all of the housework and the gardening so that she could write her books. So if you didn't have either a supportive father with money who was going to educate you, or if you didn't have a governess, if you didn't have access to books, how would you ever learn how to become a writer? And, you know, there's a story in here of the writer who joined the, you know, you had to join a convent in order to get an education, or you had to, you know, you looked at your mother who had 24 children, 24 children in a row, you know, women were pregnant or taking care of children their whole lives. You were married off in puberty, probably to a man much older than you that you didn't no. How are you going to write books? So I don't know. I just love how they found ways around all of these obstacles and were so passionate about expressing themselves and expressing their experiences that they found a way. And some of these books have been a little lost to history. Some of them, um, you know, I mean, obviously I found out enough about them to do the research for this book. And I was able to find things like Afra Ben's work and read some of it. But, you know, she was a great playwright. And when she died, they destroyed her reputation to kind of eliminate her from the canon. So, you know, I just wanted to honor them and also show other women that no matter what you think you're dealing with, your experience <laughs> is valuable. And there are ways to get your, you know, to get your story out there and, you know, your obstacles maybe aren't as bad as some of the ones that other women had to deal with in history. So it's meant to be inspirational as well as educational. <laughs> it could be called like, and you thought it was hard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it's great too, because it gives us a look at, it, it, I mean, when you pick up a book, you don't necessarily immerse yourself in when what was going on at the time. And it's right. so important to keep that context, right? Because a book, you know, you don't, aside from the copyright date, you're, it's not always hitting you over the head when it was written, what, what was going on. And the environment is, I mean, it just totally changes your thinking. It's the same thing with art, right? When you go to a yeah. museum yeah. and even what you were saying about like building on what came before, it's the same thing, right? It's all like, we're all constantly kind of in dialogue, to the right. point where like everybody on this podcast is like a response to something, maybe one of these, you know, it all, it's like all related. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, you know, I mean, this is meant to be a fun book and to bring people, I mean, I, you know, I wanted to get to tell the stories behind the storytellers. That was really my mission because I mean, you know, love being a book lover. You always want to know like, what made that person write that? Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? What inspired them? And 
you know, you read Carson McCullers and it's so dark, and, you know, the Southern Gothic. And then you hear, you know, you read her story and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rheumatic fever. And she was this brilliant prodigy pianist. And then because of her illness, she wasn't able to, to do any of that. And so she became a writer instead. And, you, you know, you just sort of see like she was in pain her whole life. She died young. You see like what was going on in her mind in order to create those books. And, you you know, Jane Austen, I mean, not, you know, just a a favorite, like to satirize the importance of marriage for women, because it was really the only option. And those books are, uh, you know, they're so beloved, but they are also satirizing what was going on at the time. And, you know, it was all of these women's voice, they wanted their voices to be heard in societies that didn't really want to hear them. Even, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, you know, her work, I mean, she's so incredible. She was this, you know, anthropologist. She was down in Haiti doing all of this research. Her and Langston Hughes did this whole ride through the Deep South, you know, when it was very dangerous for two people, you know, two Black people to be driving around like that. She kept a gun taped to her leg. But she was writing about, like, you know, in their eyes were watching God, she was writing in this Southern Black vernacular, and she was deeply criticized for doing that. And so, again, the male critics kind of shut her down, and she died. She was um, making, you know, she died with $50, cleaning hotel rooms, totally unknown. She had an unmarked grave, and it wasn't until the 70s when Alice Walker rediscovered her and brought her to the world and really honored her. And now my daughter in high school is reading Their Eyes Are Watching God. So so it's it's interesting how like writers get lost and then they become refound. And like Octavia Butler, you know, she was a prophet. You know, she was dyslexic. Her mother was a housekeeper. Um, she really struggled to get herself educated. And she wrote some of the most incredible science fiction and she made all of these predictions in her science fiction and you know she did what she won a macarthur award she was valued but her books didn't really sell in her own lifetime um and now you see parable of the sower hit the new york times bestseller list and they're reissuing all of her backlist and she's finally readers are finally finding her and her genius um, and she did a lot of that kind of end of the world dystopian science fiction and predicted a lot of like a, all of these zombie movies and the end of us in a way that all came from the work that she was doing. So I just, I, you know, I just want people to value what these women have contributed to our culture. Amazing. We need like a contemporary bookish broads. It would be interesting. Yes. And like yes. Your, your picks for who's going to who people will remember in the next couple centuries and why. It's hard. I mean, you know, as a writer, you work with the publisher. I mean, this book is, you know, it's illustrated. I tried to have like fun illustrations to make it appealing to young people who are so visual. But, you know, and just to sort of show, you know, like even Zikala Saw here, who is has also been kind of lost to history but she was taken out of her her home as a Lakota Sioux and put you know put in stripped of all of her um her language her culture she became this incredible violinist but she was the first female 
to write stories in English about being a Lakota Sioux, about her Native American tradition, and and told those folk stories and the stories that up until then had only been oral histories. Anyway, I'm sort of I'm, I'm digressing, but yes, who would be the who would be the writers of today? And I, you know, I would love to do a book like that, but I, you know, I don't know that I can predict it. <laughs> And I don't know that I can predict it. And I love that in the publishing world, we're finding and honoring now all of these contemporary voices that have not really been published before. And, you know, we're seeing people from all different cultures and backgrounds and all over the world telling their stories. And, you know, in storytelling comes empathy, mm-hmm. and comes understanding and cultural understanding. So I think that the contemporary writers are going to be from all different types of backgrounds. Certainly Zadie Smith would be in there. I mean, I wanted to put Zadie Smith in this book, but there's only so much time and space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, this wasn't meant to be encyclopedic. It sort of followed organically, like the the structure of the book and the writers I chose. They sort of showed up on their own in a way in my research. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So 
So Lauren, talk about your whole experience in the literary world and how you even got into that to start that led us to here. Well, I, you know, I moved to New York after school and I wanted to get into book publishing, but I had I did not know a soul in New York. I always say I fell off. It was like I had just fallen off the turnip truck. Where were you Uh, from? uh, Well, I grew up in Cincinnati and New Jersey, and I went to school in Providence. And I just, I I was like, what do I do? How do I become a book editor? This is my calling. I sort of knew it, but even at school, like nobody had ever done it before. So I, back then, this is, you know, this is how old I am you had to take a typing test, right? Because the entry-level positions are basically an editorial assistant. That title is, you know, it's a lot of grunt work. So I was a really good typist because I had written my thesis and I had, you know, back to retype it every time you made a change. So I was a very quick typist. I got the highest score in the typing test and I got work with a literary agent, Kathy Robbins, who handled a lot of incredible journalists. And I had studied the romantic poets. So I was like this geeky, you know, writing a, writing a thesis on Lord Byron's 500-page poem, Don Juan, like really like in the library every weekend. So I learned by working for Kathy all about nonfiction. And I fell in love with the nonfiction world and with investigative journalism. And I made a decision early on that I was going to pursue nonfiction as my profession for my professional life and that I was going to keep fiction as my love, my Mm. great love. So when I go on vacation, I I travel with a suitcase full of books and I try to read a book a day and I cram in in 10 days. I will cram in like all of the books that I didn't get to read during the rest of the year. But what I love about being um, a nonfiction editor is that it's like being in school for life. Mm. Right. And it's I mean, like writing this book, it was like getting my Ph.D. in 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 female literature. But I'm always reading book proposals. I get so many book proposals. And because they're nonfiction, they're cutting edge. They're great thinkers, great minds, people either writing about their own experiences, whether it's publishing memoirs and, and entering worlds that I would never otherwise know about or working with these people on the cutting edge of research and psychology or neuroscience. So I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly stimulated. And, you know, the book world is very competitive, so I don't get to sign up all of the books that I want to, but I do get to read all of these proposals. And so that's really fun for me. It's You never, ever get bored, never get bored in this work. And I know you're publishing, I mean, your, your first books are just coming out now, and you have a lot of great female writers, and I think you're doing a lot of fiction, right? We're doing fiction and memoir, but yes, thank yeah. you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. proposals are fun, but we don't do nonfiction like you. Yeah. But I feel like I learn a lot through people's stories, as you were saying. Oh, sure. Proposals. Yes. So what are some of the books that you've worked on that you're really proud of or that changed you in some way or just, I don't know, a project that you feel a lot of pride about or I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's so, there's such diversity in the books that I publish and that's sort of the fun. Th- if I have too many memoirs that I just start doing yeah. neuroscience or, you know, so that I'm not mm-hmm. like stuck in the same world, but I published a book in the fall called Hysterical by Alyssa Basist. 
And she, it's about voice and women's voices and how she lost her voice and got Mm -hmm. very, very sick as a result. And so she kind of went through, did all this research and tried to find out why am I getting all of these physical ailments? Why Mm -hmm. is my, you know, my, she has back pain and she lost her voice and she had these horrible headaches and she couldn't get out of bed. And so she sort of explored how as a writer, as a female writer, she had felt shut down and she she felt like her voice wasn't being valued in her relationships with men at work. And it wasn't until she found her voice and started to express herself that her health, she got her health back. Mm. So she looks at really how like the medical industry, it's sort of a medical mystery, mm-hmm. but through this lens of when women shut down their voices, they get physically, you know, they get physical symptoms from that and the importance of self-expression and how women's voices have been, you know, shut down. I mean, in a way, it's sort of like what happened with Bookish Broads. It's sort of the same story, but it's the modern version of mm-hmm. it. And, you know, there's a great, she talks about The Little Mermaid. And, you know, I have a daughter. We watch The Little Mermaid over and over. Everyone loves The Little Mermaid. But if you really think about it, It's the story of a girl who loses her voice, gives up her voice in order to get the prince. Mm -hmm. She grows legs and gets rid of the voice so that she will appeal to him. And no one ever really looks at (laughs) that that part of the story. Like, you don't want to be Ariel. You don't want to give up your voice for a boy. So, you know, so she looks at pop culture. Someone should write Ariel's memoir. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's a a good idea. idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Ursula, of course, you know, then you have the old hag, you know, like there's these stereotypes in literature and in how women are portrayed and in pop culture. And it's just, I don't know, I just want to bust those up. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's exciting. That's a book I'm really proud of. I have a book called In the Weeds that I published that I really love. I mean, it's such a, it's just, it's a heartbreaking story, but um, Tom, the author, was Anthony Bourdain's director and producer for 10 years. Mm. So he lost his boss, his mentor, and one his best friend. And so it's his story of trying to figure out what happened, but it's really behind the scenes of what it was like working with Tony and making that making that show. It's like behind the scenes of television and traveling all over the world and seeing all these different cultures. So that's a book that book has done very well and continues to do well. And I just feel like, you know, he, he, he brings Tony alive in this very human way, but he's also taking you into all of these cultures. So I, you know, I always love books about entering different worlds and different mm-hmm. cultures and books that examine pop culture and culture and and try to say well why do we why do we see things this way and how can we look at things differently that's i always like to have different perspectives so those are the kind of books that i really enjoy that's awesome. I interviewed Lori Wolliver about her book, World Travel. Um, well, and yeah. oh, and yes. then actually today I saw that she has a new book coming out. It's more of a memoir, but it also talks about her. You'll probably like it too, behind the scenes of right. similar and, and, you know, except her own, I guess, addiction. And I don't know. It sounded good. Right. But yeah, you know, Lori yeah. Wolliver on the mind. Anthony Bourdain type of day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, now that you've done Bookish Broads, 
is there, will there be a continuation or do you want to, what do you, I mean, you're obviously a huge, you have a huge intellect and you just love to learn, right? So what are you interested in diving into next? Well, you know, I've written three books and all of them are about strong women mm-hmm. and they're, they could not, I mean, they're, they're such different women, right? Like I wrote a book about Jackie Kennedy mm-hmm. and how she used fashion as diplomacy in the White House. And she took what she had and really became powerful using, you know, what women had at that mo- at that time. Then I did a book about Dolly Parton, like completely yeah. opposite end of the spectrum. I saw that. <laughs> but that book, What Would Dolly Do? I wrote when I was going through a divorce and I was really having a rough time in my life. And I was like, I need some inspiration. And she just, I don't know, she kind of came to me and was like, you know, get yourself together. So just learning about her and her optimism and how she gives back and how she's this huge literacy advocate. You know, people have a certain idea of who Dolly Parton is. I think that's changing now, but they sort of look at the hair and the boobs and, you know, and and she as a songwriter, I mean, she's written 5,000 songs, some of the great American songbooks. She's this wildly successful businesswoman. She was a trailblazer in country music and the music world. People don't see that. They see the persona. So she's mm-hmm. really a lot. She's smart. She's strong. She's a writer. So writing, and, and she stays optimistic through all sorts of, you know, trials and tribulations, and she supports other people. And so I wrote about her from that perspective, like inspiration. And then, of course, the book is Broads. So I, you know, right now, because of my job, my career, it's impossible for me to write. Maybe when the children go off to college, <laughs> um, right now is not the moment, but I know <laughs> like an, an idea will, when the time is right, will come to me. But I always find strong women that I admire and they sort of come to me at the, you know, I'll read an article or I'll have an experience of some kind or even sometimes a dream. And then I'll be like, oh, I, let me research this. And it's usually something that stimulates me that I go research. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot more to this story than I realized. And then the book sort of comes from there. Mm. We'll see. I don't know. Wait, how old are your kids now? She is a sophomore. She's 15 and he is 17. So he's going off to college in the fall and I'm preparing for that. I know. I'm like, oh, I can't, you know, I'm like, it's like a year of empty nest syndrome before the (laughs) empty nest even exists. So it'll just be the two two of us and then she'll go off. So then maybe, you know, we'll see. Then I'll have I'll have to write another book <laughs> to keep myself company. <laughs> so. I don't know. My uh, I have twins who are fifteen and they're at boarding school. And my daughter texts me like night and day all day long. It's like I feel like she more so than if well, she was in my house. <laughs> so maybe you'll get closer. You never know. Well, I don't know. I know when I go when I travel, my son will text me and be like, "Could you order me Murray's bagels?" So I'll be like in California or New Orleans or South Carolina or somewhere, and I'll be like ordering Murray's bagels. <laughs> so, you know, you're once a mother, always a mother. Yeah, so. exactly. You know, I'm like, what hockey jersey? Like, could, could you just do this? You know, could you order it? Anyway. Right. Oh well, you know, I'm also publishing Tough Titties by Laura Belgray. And I think. Oh, yeah. I just met her. her. Yes. So her book, I, I, you know, I'm very excited about her book too. Yes. That's coming yes. out in June. And, you know, she calls it 
her or her husband calls it the loser sex in the city. And it's this, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but it, again, it's a strong woman mm-hmm. who kind of took this winding path to become her authentic self and to become successful. But that didn't really happen until she turned 50. And so I love, you know, I love that at any age you can evolve, you continue to grow and you can become, you know, a writer, you know, in your fifties, in your sixties. Like mm-hmm. I'd like to think there, are, I still have many more books in me. It's just like, as a woman, you can't do everything all mm-hmm. at once, but you can do everything one thing at a time or two or three things at a time, as yes. you, as you know, very well. Excellent advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Lauren, thank you. It was so nice talking to you. Nice learning more about these bookish broads and your journey to getting them on the page. And I just adore the illustrations too. And your illustrator is Alexandra Kilburn. Anyway, amazing bookish broads. So awesome. And uh, thanks for the preview of upcoming titles and recent titles and all of that too. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 